0: The final item of the uh, Serat HaDibrot, the Decalogue, or otherwise known as the Ten Commandments, reads, Lo tachmod lo tachmod eshet ve'avdo v'amato asher l'rayecha. You should not covet your neighbor's house, you should not covet your neighbor's wife, his servant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey, and all that belongs to your fellow. Avram Ben Arambam answers a burning question related to the Ten Commandments, and he writes mm-hmm. The mind thirsts and desires to know Lama Hashem Hadibrot Aser Why Hashem the Exalted One specified these ten items? Israel. And as opposed to the other remaining mitzvot that he imparted to the Jewish people. And to answer this question, there are two answers. So the first answer is that this is simply part of the secrets of divine wisdom, meaning it's not up to us to figure out. But the second answer, kinira hadvarim Shehem Shorshe Kol HaTorah Taryag Mitzvot. The second answer is that from these 10 items, we can see the foundation of the entire Torah system of 613 mitzvot. Avram Ben Arambam explains that the 10 items selected for the Decalogue are prototypical. Each item encompasses a foundational concept that reverberates throughout the entire Torah. The mitzvah of Shabbat is observed weekly but the concept of differentiating between the ordinary and the distinct, the mundane and the special, the holy and the profane is universal. The commandment you shall not murder not only prohibits a specific action, but affirms the value the Torah places on human dignity, which lies at the root of many mitzvot. The final item of the Decalogue commands us not to covet what belongs to our fellow. How can we understand this commandment and how can we be commanded to do something which seems to be out of our control? So the Ibn Ezra addresses this question, and he explains, Anashim Rabim Yitmahu al mitzvah. Many people were astonished at this mitzvah. How can someone not desire what his heart finds beautiful? Anything that uh, appears beautiful to his eyes. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you an analogy. Da Imagine a man, uh, it comes from a kfar, that he is, uh, he's a, a villager, he's a peasant, so to speak. And let's say he's of sound mind. Who He sees a beautiful princess. Lo Yachmod Oto he's not really gonna desire her, she that he would sleep with her. Kiya da ki'za lo because he knows uh this is basically impossible. And, uh vi'al ha ha kafri, she hamishuga'im. And this this peasant is not gonna uh Act insane, she taveshi ulo, cannot find that he has wings, laof, like a bird, behem bashmaim, and be able to fly around in the heaven. Kilo yitakin liotze. And it's not really possible. This is an impossibility for him. And so he says, you know, similarly, the person knows that. He really digresses here a little bit, uh, but, you know, views it as a, as a related concept that a person should also realize that whether it's a beautiful woman or his, uh, or money, that this really isn't a result of a person's um, wisdom, but these are really part of the chelek, the uh, gift or the portion that that Hashem portions people. And he, he quotes Kohelet, which says a person is given a certain portion, and explains further, that the Chachamim interpret this, that a person's, the outcome of a person's children or His sustenance, how much money he has, are not really dependent on his particular merits in this world. Uh, They're somewhat outside of a person's control. And through that, he's advocating that a person must therefore accept the portion that he's given. And I want to be clear too, this means that the portion he may achieve through his own efforts. It doesn't mean he sits back and does nothing. But there are certain limitations on a person standing in the world, and a person has to uh, accept that. And so as a result, he uses that to underpin this idea that a person shouldn't desire that which is beyond his uh, capability. And if he doesn't have something, it may be because that was part of, uh, uh, he has to accept the parameters of, of God's design of the world and uh, nothing he does will necessarily change that. And so he has to have a certain trust in his creator um, and that uh, accept the way the world works. So um, it's beautiful, Ibn Ezra, and something that's worth worth studying further. But I want to focus on one element here. And that is that the Ibn Ezra's analogy demonstrates that our mind can create certain parameters on our desires. And Nechamelibowitz beautifully summarizes this and says, quote, Man's desires are controllable and do not overpower his reason. On the contrary, his feelings can be governed by his outlook and way of life. Man can train himself not only not to commit adultery or steal, but also not to covet and desire things not his own. End quote. So the Rambam discusses further how a disciplined mind is necessary to properly observe mitzvot. And he writes in the, uh, third, the 51st chapter of the third section of the Guide for the Perplexed the following, quote, We must bear in mind that all such religious acts, such as reading the Torah and uh, praying and the performance of other mitzvot, serve exclusively as the means of causing us to occupy and fill our mind with the mitzvot of Hashem and free it from worldly business and affairs, for we are as it were, in communication with Hashem during that time and undisturbed by any external things. If we, however, pray with just the motion of our lips, we face the wall, but at the same time are just thinking about our business. If we read the Torah with our our tongue while our heart is occupied with the building of our house and we don't really think and internalize what we're reading, if we perform the commandments only with our limbs, we are like those who are engaged in digging in the ground or chopping wood in the forest without reflecting on the nature of those acts, or by whom they are commanded, or what is their object. We must not imagine that in this way we attain the highest perfection. On the contrary, we are like those in reference to whom scripture says, thou art near in the mouth and far from their reins. So, The Rambam is explaining that the objective of mitzvot is not exhausted in the performance of discrete physical actions. Those actions are designed to leave an impression on our mind, but the discipline of our inner world will determine the extent to which we are impacted by the experience of mitzvot. So in a lecture describing the multifaceted objectives of a Torah education, the Rav describes one of these objectives in the following terms.
1: There is a third kind of discipline, which Yahad the old zokin teaches the young child. And the child harbours and listens carefully, mainly a disciplined inner life. The Torah is interested not only in human physical actions, be it at the individual physiological level, like eating, be it at a social level, such as selling or manufacturing goods, but the Torah is also interested in the inner activities of the Jew, in his emotional life. There is very much interest. We don't know, it's secret to us. You look at me as if I were talking about I mean, some nonsense. We think that the Torah is only concerned with the hand, with the legs, with my mouth, with the digestive organs. To me the Torah is concerned. But the is also concerned with my, with my feelings, with my sentiments, with my emotions. But the Torah knew very well that certain emotions which I experienced Such as hate, envy, are disjunctive, and the Torah requires of me to disown such emotions, to disown, to reject them. We believe in freedom of man, not only to perform physical acts, but also, I mean, as far as zero life is concerned. If an emotion is destructive, disjunctive, so I am capable that that one is capable to disown it, to reject it, to get it out of his system, of his spiritual personality. I was, I can give you an example, I mean, I'm not bragging about myself. But I cannot draw on the experience of somebody else, I have to draw my own experience. Yeah. I was very envious as a child. Very envious. I was envious of my friends in... Because I was not a bright child. It's true! Some call me stupid. I was honest, intellectually honest. But, but I was not bright, I was very envious. After that, it's a up. <laughs> <laughs> I was terribly envious, envious. And I remember my father called me in once and said, it is a middle meguna. it's a bad habit. The emotion of envy is l'sachmet, l'sesahmet, the terror is forbidden. And I began to train myself to overcome it. And I have, I have succeeded. Now there is no and no envy in my heart. I mean, I'm bad enough, boy. <laughs> but, but there is no envy in my heart. On the contrary, I rejoice with the success of, of my fellow man. We are the Torah demanded for man a disciplined inner life. On the contrary, we know of constructive, cathartic emotions, such as sympathy, such as love, such as gratitude, which should be integrated in one's personality. One has freedom not only to control his physical acts, but to control his emotional life. And this kind of discipline of the inner life is also taught by the of the old father to the to the intelligent, bright, talented Jewish child.
0: It is indeed a daunting task to change our patterns of thinking, but modern psychology, such as the field of cognitive behavioral therapy, has demonstrated that this is possible. It certainly isn't automatic or easy, but man is capable of adjusting how he experiences and interprets both his external and his internal world. This is an integral component of the Torah's aspirations for man and the final item of the Decalogue of the Aseret HaDibrot.